New Photic Realm announcement. Uh, submission windows for upcoming issues. Issue 10, the theme is justice. That's hard-boiled fiction with a supernatural twist. The deadline for that will be April 1st, 2020. Issue 11, the theme is kaiju. Giant monsters terrorizing civilization. Deadline will be October 1st, 2020 for those stories. Issue 12, the theme is lycanthropy, which is, of course, self-explanatory. Um, it can be any type of animorph with a bloody twist. Uh, so I guess that's werewolves and Jesus, giant, I don't know. What do people turn into? Seals? I've just got a little seal on my desk, so I thought of that. I don't know. You have to be more imaginative than I just was. Uh, but the deadline for lycanthropy, January 1st, 2021. Good luck to everyone submitting. is Danger Slater. Um, we're going to be talking about the films of Harmony Korine, specifically Spring Breakers and The Beach Bum. So what happened was, uh, as you probably know, I'm looking more into film and learning about that, so I've been watching loads of different films. Uh, I watched The Beach Bum, the Harmony Korine film, recently, and I thought it was great, and I knew that Danger Slater was a fan of Korine's and, and had seen the film so I got in touch with him because I really wanted to discuss it with somebody uh, and then we uh, we had a great little chat about that over messenger and then I thought hey why don't you come on the show and we'll talk about uh, the films of Harmony Korine um, and so that's what we did. Uh, there will be spoilers for these films uh, so do check them out first if you want to join in uh, of course, I do recommend them, both Spring Breakers and The Beach Bum in particular, like two of the best films in recent years, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, if you like this, it seemed, it, we had a great time chatting about it. It seems like something that we could keep doing with different directors. Uh, we start to mention different people that came up in the chat. It was great. I hope you, I hope you enjoy this. If you want to be on the show, if you want to tell me anything about it, you can get in touch with me using losingthepotpodcast at gmail.com and I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, but that's enough for me. Here is my chat with Danger Slater about the films of Harmony Green. I can't believe you're so early awake on a Sunday. Sunday, yeah. Well, you know, I don't, I don't really have a nine to five situation, so I kind of work every day. So it's, okay. I just get up do my normal day but like a weekend doesn't really necessarily matter is what i'm getting at okay cool yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah like sunday's not my sleeping day 
Okay. I had to think about the fact that it was Sunday there for a second as well. I was like, so early on a Sunday? <laughs> yeah. On a day of the week? <laughs> How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think last time I talked, I was on that little island called Stord in Norway. Yeah. Like last year. Now I'm back in Stavanger, which is where I started. It's a city. I'm in my actual home. Um, got a home office where I work, uh, which is cool. Don't yeah. have to talk to anyone. Hmm. <laughs> have you been stuck inside for the for uh, for a minute, or are you you guys got going in the office, or how's that working out there? Yeah, no, I think now like they're opening stuff up again here, mm-hmm. but um, it's only like essential staff. It's like a quarter of people who can normally go into the office, so I just stay home. Everyone wants to Skype now as well. Has that happened to you? Everyone's in touch all the time, feels like. Yeah, I mean, I've been talking to, uh, on on the phone and to, on Skype a lot more often than I did before, <laughs> which was almost never. Like, I'm assuming you only do it for the, or only did it for the podcast most of the time, or maybe to your family and stuff. But yeah, I've been talking to a lot of friends and stuff, too. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. But you... um. You're like an essential worker. You're out in in a van most days. Is that right? Uh, well, I'm a I'm a gig worker, so I am not an actual employee of anywhere. I I kind of just do like Ubering for Amazon, and and mm. but uh, lately I've been doing it for a company called DoorDash, which is uh, just food, you know, from restaurants and stuff because. Uh, Amazon has been a little hectic with all this stuff going on and they have all these regulations in place of like how to get workers in and out safely and it just takes a lot longer uh, but they don't pay it extra so I'm like you know what I'm gonna like let that be and just focus on maybe doing some restaurant deliveries for the next couple months and it's been pretty good I've you know people have been tipping and stuff pretty well and uh that's where most of the money comes from because those apps don't pay you much either. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I am kind of exempt from, I guess, any of those stay at home orders when I'm working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, it's actually a lot, I hate to say this, it's actually a lot nicer because there's no cars on the road and I could like get places very easily, <laughs> you know, and I'm, making money a lot easier and quicker than I normally am. And I'm just like, this is actually working out pretty good. As long as I don't get sick or anyone I, I know that doesn't get sick, this is, uh, hasn't been much of a problem for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm the same. I'm like, how can I, how can I express my excitement at this new situation without sounding insensitive? I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm hoping it's like a paradigm shift or something. Like people just realize like, Oh, maybe we don't all need to like be doing all this stuff at all the time, and we can actually take more time to to sit around and and relax, you know, and still get all of our work done, you know. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, it's great. I mean, like, what's it for if not what I'm doing now, which is just like getting to hang out around my house, like with my new cat, and just you know, be closer to loved ones and friends, like more often that's the whole point of why i left this place was so i could get back to it as often as possible to secure right. its like existence so yeah 
Mm. Oh my god, the Mr. Burns tattoo! I'd not seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> what prompted that one? Um, that's a good question, but I, <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, I was, you know, when I when I was gonna get a tattoo, I wanted to get something that would be not huge, so something affordable. So this is kind of small, yeah. and I was thinking of the things that I like. And the Simpsons is one, and this is specifically from the X Files episode of The Simpsons. So that was it's kind of like a twofer of things that I was into when I was, you know, growing up. Mm-hmm. And it's just weird, also. So people are like, "What the hell?" <laughs> is that Mr. Burns? And I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> nice. Kind of with, with each new tattoo, like the 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 scope of like what it means gets lower, doesn't it? Kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the first one, you're like, it's going to be perfect. And by like the, the fifth or sixth, or I mean, I have like maybe 12 or something now. I'm just like, uh, what's the funniest thing that I could get? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. The last one I got you saw was the, the big cat with the, the red bull. And he says, you've got a lucky face. This nice. oh, wait. <laughs> uh, I, I can't even bend my arm. Yeah, I bet my arm right next to it. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little cat devil. Yeah, but um, mine was just to try and convince me not to take life so seriously. Um, I don't know if it worked because I'm just so in, I'm such an intensely serious person. So I don't know. And it's, it's a it's a ridiculous thing to be a serious person, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it's so funny, too, because, like, I think of my my writing and the stuff that I'm into, and it's all very silly. There is, a, like, this kind of unreality or silliness that kind of flows through all of it, but at the same time, when I sit down to actually work on it, I'm, like, so serious about what I'm doing, and I'm, like, so hyper-focused, and I'm, like, none of this is a joke. This is or you know but like meanwhile i'm writing about like monsters with like you know things coming out of their eyeballs and tentacles and all this other nonsense <laughs> it's like the least dire thing in the world but hmm. i don't know i think that's kind of part of that part of that artist spirit where you where you kind of even if you're making something that's that's funny or or goofy or just weird you still have to be serious about it as an artist Mm-hmm. Oh, the way comedians are all depressed. I was just about to say, it's so funny. Like, I, uh, it's when you first start watching interviews with comedians, you're like, yeah, really funny people. And then they're just like, I went to therapy and, like, this is <laughs> to understand that, I don't know, Richard Pryor was a galvanizing of his time. And you're like, my God, these people are so intense. <laughs> like, yeah. Tell some jokes. Or, like, <laughs> or even like Will Ferrell or something who, I, I mean, I don't know if he's depressed or not, but anytime I've ever seen him be interviewed, he's just like the most boring, normal person you could possibly imagine. He's just like, yeah, well, you know, I was doing this movie. But like, meanwhile, you know, his characters are all gigantic and strange. And he's like saying the funniest things you could think of or most random things. Mm. And it's just like, yeah, you know, it's just that performer mindset where I guess you switch into a different, different mode of yourself. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's what we want when we look into like interviews with famous people as well. It's like, please tell me that you have days that suck. I want to know that yeah. everyone does, you know. <eah. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, but yeah. we all do. 
<laughs> yeah. Um. So it seems like, I mean, I knew that uh, Harmony Korean was like one of your favorites because I saw you posting about Spring Breakers. Um. It seems like he's that mix of serious and silly that we were talking about as well, right? Yeah. I. You know. I when I watch those movies or his movies, it's hard to even put a pin in what exactly he's trying to do. Like, I don't know mm. if he's trying to be super sincere or if he's trying to be kind of ironic or trying to be kind of just weird for the sake of being weird, or if he actually has these profound things to say. And I, and I think that's a lot of what makes those movies so interesting is that you can kind of extrapolate in any direction and apply your own meaning to them. And that's kind of why I keep returning to them too and watching them again. Like Spring Breakers, I've watched six times now, which is a lot for <laughs> a essentially plotless movie you know, about uh, girls just partying. <laughs> mm. But there is so much to be kind of seen there. And even now, because I watched it again, what, two weeks ago for, or last week for this podcast, I'm still picking up on things I had never realized before, you know, and it could just yeah. be maybe I was mentally and now the movie, I can map myself onto the movie or maybe that was his intention. It, um, it kind of leaves it ambiguous for, for people. And I think that's what makes mm. them good. Yeah. It's a, it's a far more like densely meaningful film than I had noticed. Cause I also rewatched it for this. Um, and I just think it must've been, so improperly marketed because I think that like the the whole opening sequence I think is just couldn't be more like basic girls gone wild MTV imagery and so yeah. I think in the trailer they must have sold it to that audience when in fact somehow I'm wondering if you agree with this like that opening imagery is being held at a distance it's not like it's not like being shown for the same reasons it's shown on MTV it's not supposed to be like titillating and exciting it's like the colors are too bright the images are too close it's you're somehow held at a distance from it as if like in this film we are going to be objectively analyzing this culture that's what it felt like to me yeah well and if you kind of think of where the girls um start in the movie they're they're in this kind of like drab college town it's kind of like always dark it's <laughs> showing where they are it's like they're either mm, in dim -lit yeah. nighttime or they're in a dim lit classroom and to me, uh, at least on this last watch, it seemed like they were looking at the spring break as kind of like a religious person would look towards Mecca or some mm. sort of idealized version of of what they want out of the world. So they were yeah. they're like, because it's their only their only driving force in the movie is we need to get to this party and then we need to stay at the party. Like, yeah. it's all that they want. <laughs> they just don't want the party to ever end, essentially. Mm. It's, oh. uh, it, yeah, it's, it's most definitely, like, a religious experience for them. Yeah. Um, because you've got this character called Faith, uh, who's, like, in this uh, group of, I don't know, God group. I've never been to one. I don't know what how you call it or what they're doing. But then they're, they're all singing together. And then she's the first to go. Like, it's like Faith literally leaves spring break there's no faith here anymore the faith is yeah. you know drugs and money and being young forever and 
having a great time. Yeah, and the kind of way I was reading it too is like if if we're following that tract of like this is a religious pilgrimage for these girls, um, at some point it turns from just a pilgrimage into basically zealotry, where the you know the girl Faith who was the least on board for what was going on is the first to leave. She kind of dips out at the moment where things are about to go south. Right, they meet alien, who could be construed as a cult figure, like a religious type leader. He kind of ushers them into this other side of Florida or the Spring Break world, or or whatever. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and you know, eventually the movie tracks them as they as he converts them into the the most faithful of his followers until they are more faithful to this lifestyle than even he is because mm. they get to walk they get to walk away at the end and he yeah. is not mm-hmm. yeah no i mean he's definitely like the the embodiment of everything that they worship he's got these like metal teeth and the guns and it's just way too much and all there and he's loud and saying look at my shit and <laughs> all this stuff <laughs> um yeah yeah it's, definitely it's funny though because we're talking about like this the kind of like symbol symbolism i guess or the the more serious aspects of this it's all played very over the top and kind of cartoonish like mm. that that scene where he's talking about all his stuff he's looking at my shit look at my shorts i got scarface on i got nunchucks like it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's scarface. So ridiculous <laughs> it, it's like a one two three scene because it's like it goes that scene and then basically the scene where he starts filleting a gun in the bed with the girls, and then they start spring, singing Britney Spears while, like, robbing spring breakers and stuff. It's just so mm. surreal and so over the top. But And I guess the way it's presented is, is in this kind of dreamy aspect. Like, nothing ever feels concrete. Like, there's not, like, scene A, scene B scene C. They all just kind of blend in to mm. each other. That's true. And I, and I wonder if it's supposed to be like, oh, we're, we're kind of experiencing this the way someone in a drug-induced haze would experience it, or if he's trying to say, we're not dealing with actual reality. We are in kind of dream logic here. So you mm. need to follow this in a more uh, what's the word I'm looking for? like metaphorical or symbolic way you know the, like the, the thing they're not really if they were going around robbing people at spring break they would get caught like something would stop them at some point but that's not the point of the movie you know mm. the point of the movie is how far does it go yeah yeah that's very true i noticed something also second time i did want to ask you also because i know that um it's the same in the beach bomb definitely this lack of concrete um, drug-induced haze style, which I think is achieved. I, I can't really remember, like, um, if there are establishing shots or something. But yeah, you're not really given much time to adjust to what's happening, um, and lots of like voiceover is used to stitch various scenes together. Um, but also, I noticed that like there's two times that people are singing, or no, I mean there's there's various times that people are singing. But in before they go to Florida, it's they're singing in the church, and then when they go to Florida, they're singing. Uh, the Britney Spears song, which is like their, 
I don't know, religious choir, I think. Yeah, the yeah, okay. worship of pop music. Hmm. You know, I hadn't that hadn't occurred to me, but that actually tracks kind of what I was saying before. That's, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, something between both of these films is that they both contain a former member of High School Musical in their cast, which I think is quite deliberate. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Because those guys are, or those people are associated with Disney, and then they're really subverting. Mm-hmm. I guess what their image was by playing essentially horrible people. <laughs> you know, Zach Efron was pretty horrible in that. Uh, even though he's only got one scene basically in the Beach Bum, it's he's not really quite likable. <laughs> he's memorable but not likable. Yeah, I, I, that was my favorite. Just every moment he was in that film was my favorite part of the whole thing. His character is absolutely ridiculous, over the top, and he's just like, "Yeah, we're in a Christian rock cover band," and then like twice for no reason he says like the best thing about christianity is like jesus died for your sins so you can do anything and you go to heaven and it's just like <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's how it works and then he says it again <laughs> yeah right before uh hitting an old man in a wheelchair on the head with a glass bottle to steal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the thing about like uh, we can jump about as much as you want i mean it's losing the plot so there's no nobody should expect structure here um, but I didn't want to start with the films that I know are your favorites, but um, yeah, it's it, that film is like so funny that you're distracted from how disturbing its ideas are. Yeah, yeah. See, the, I, I, I kind of was thinking of the Beach Bum and Spring Breakers of a piece too, because they both have the same look. They're both very, um, like we were saying before, kind of dreamy. In the way they're constructed, they're both very bright and colorful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Harmony Corinne loves a, a good shot, shot of the sunset. There's so many scenes in both movies where the characters are standing on a beach and the, the sun is literally setting behind them as they, you know, deliver their lines or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they both take place in Florida, obviously. Uh, and I think they both share a similar philosophy, but kind of go at it from two opposite directions. Because uh, Moondog in the Beach Bum, his whole philosophy too is how can I keep the party going? Mm-hmm. You know, like same as the the girls in Spring Breakers, they just don't want the good times or whatever they associate with the good times to end, and they mm-hmm. are going to go about this however they can you know all the girls in the in spring breakers are kind of like i'm going to force this situation this this we're going to rob and steal and do whatever we can to keep this going you know yeah. uh moondog is more almost like the buddha or something he's just like i'm going to sit here and let everything happen to me and instead of trying to control situations i'm always going to go with what's happening and the universe is going to reward me for this because hmm. he doesn't yeah. he's not you know moondog isn't a bad person he's in fact everybody loves him but like he watches like zach efron smash a bottle on a guy's head or um there's a scene where he's talking to jonah hill's character towards the end of the movie and jonah hill's character is like the best part about being rich is i can do whatever i want or something like that you know and 
Moondog never judges these people in his life for essentially not being good people. Hmm. Um, and he doesn't cut them out of his life either, but I don't think he subscribes to the same philosophy as any of them. Yeah. Like, even though that's... he's also doing what he wants, he's not trying to do harm to people. Yes. I, and it's like, yeah, you see you see both aspects of that. It's good and it's bad. Like the, the part that really stuck out for me is when Snoop Dogg is like, Oh, you know, I was I was cheating on like your wife was cheating on you with with me. Um and he's just like, Yeah, like it's cool, it's whatever. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's so interesting that you do like there's something there's something as you said that's kind of nihilistic the idea that yeah okay if you can choose you can choose however on earth you want to react to any situation it's like it's awful it almost makes anything meaningless but it also has good aspects in that somebody can tell you something that's supposed to fly you into rage and end your friendship with them you can just be like yeah whatever <laughs> like if you really want um yeah. but also being that laid back to your circumstances um you would have to be Moondog in order for it to work out all the time because the universe does seem to conspire to, to, um, happy. <laughs> to, to let, yeah, to let him to be happy. Um, and, but also at the same time, it's revealing how farcical that notion must be in real life, that that can't be true of anyone. Um, because yeah. if it was true of someone, it would look like what happens to Moondog and that doesn't happen to anyone. So in the movie, in the movie, I think kind of pushes it into, that territory too, where you're like, this isn't actual real life. It's more about the ideas because the the last two scenes of the movie is him winning uh, the uh, the Pulitzer Prize for his ridiculous poetry, and then and then getting fifty million dollars, which he proceeds to explode and just laugh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, like there's no all the rewards don't really mean anything to him at the yeah. same time is he's also getting all of it too um mm. you know and there is something about that movie especially with that scene where he wins the nobel uh the, the the pulitzer prize because and i think this is the greatest trick the movie plays because his poetry is i'm gonna say not very good it, it's kind of silly and but for you know, for some reason, everyone in this world loves it. They, everyone connects with it. They all love him, and he reads it. He goes to some in the very first scene of the movie. He he just goes to some show where someone's playing music, and he jumps on stage, interrupts the show to re re recite this poem about having sex, essentially. And he's like, "I'm looking at my dick while I'm peeing and thinking about sex," <laughs> and you're just like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> <laughs> But then at the end of the movie, he reads the same poem at the Pulitzer, uh, the Pulitzer Prize ceremony, and it's intercut with scenes of his dead wife. And you understand the journey he actually went through emotionally to write this ridiculous poem. And it mm. is, I found, to be actually very emotionally affecting. <laughs> so in that moment, I was at, I was like on the verge of crying because I'm like, Oh, this this man had to go through so much just to come to terms with this person he loved passing, and that's what his terrible poem was actually about in the beginning. And while we laughed at it before, even though it's I guess still technically funny because he's just talking about peeing in his dick and stuff, but <laughs> while we laughed at it before, I'm like, there's actually a lot to what he says because now you you can see everything that is behind it. And it's mm. very, it's a very 
clever trick that the movie plays to manipulate you emotionally to get to that point without ever making it seem like it was trying to do that. Hmm. Yeah, you know, very well. Kind of, very well put. It, yeah. That's kind of what I I think is is I like about these movies too is they feel very sincere and they don't feel like they are trying to be manipulative or trying to tell you how to feel. They're merely presenting you with a series of of scenes, I guess that that you can kind of take from it what you will, almost like poems themselves. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah like, definitely, yeah. I think I think that's what attracts me to Harmony Corrine as a filmmaker is like, rather than some people who uh, their their messages could work in any medium, he's somebody who is like a, a filmmaker. He's not writing stories that are being turned into films. He's making films, which is that like it's the intersection of what people are saying and what what how they look like and and what you're seeing in the background. It's the images the images themselves are the message. If it could be expressed in any other way. It would be expressed in any other way, but what you're supposed to take in is just the feeling that the films give you upon watching them. You know, yeah, I, I like that. I, I think that's. I don't think a lot of filmmakers kind of think of movies that way. Like, mm. especially the kind of stuff that's popular. Yeah, yes, there's absolutely movies out there that are like it's all about like the visual language, like Mandy or something. I don't know if you watched that last year. Oh yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, it's it, there's there's almost no dialogue in that movie. It's just like let's give you an experience that can only be experienced through watching it. Um, but like, especially with these Harmony Corinne movies too, every shot is beautiful. Every shot is kind of saying something in a way. And, you know, the dialogue is almost the least important part of these movies. Um, I was watching both of them and I, I was even wondering if there was a script. Like, I'm like, I don't think that there's actual dialogue written on a page that they're like, you need to recite this. Like that, like James Franco talking about, look at my shit. I think he was just like, this is what you need to do. You need to brag about all your stuff. Just keep saying, look at my shit and just start calling out things in the room and just like, feel it, be in the moment and just feel it. Like, and I don't know mm. if that's actually what happened, but that's, how it comes across as a as a viewer i'm like this is a real moment in this ridiculous man's life yeah i have so much respect for matthew mcconaughey after seeing him in that film like that's one of the best performances i've ever seen i think in like he could do anything he wants at this stage he chose to do that film like knowing that it, i guess people would be attracted to, to see him in it and then he does that which is like almost almost a parody of himself yeah. Yeah, it was it was some it was some great casting, especially when you look at a lot of people in uh in the Beach Bum were kind of playing themselves like Jimmy Buffett mm -hmm. was there playing himself. Snoop Dogg was playing a character that is essentially just Snoop Dogg. Like it's just some rapper who loves weed. Like that's his character. Okay. <laughs> like and I and I think especially if you you look at some of the older Harmony Korean movies too, where like Gummo or something, you're like, these aren't even actors in this movie. You know, they're like, who are mm. they? They just seem like, I mean, I guess they are actors, but they just seem like random people that he found on the street, you know, or something. Yeah. And he's, you want to be in a film? 
Yeah, uh, Gummo is like a home movie, I think. What I find very strange, like, about that one is it's set in Nashville, Tennessee, which is where Harmony Korine grew up. They say it's in Ohio for some reason. Um, and, and yeah, no, those people, I remember like the, I think what was his name, Tumblr or something, the character, I can't remember his name, but he was on a Sally Jesse Raphael uh, episode called My Child Died from Sniffing Pain because he was a paint sniffing survivor. Harmony Kareem was like, yeah, I want that guy in my film. Um, and then there's another guy. how he cast him? <laughs> yeah. That's where he came up with it. So, but that's how I noticed that his his casting of like where people are from is also a deliberate part of the message itself. Um, like the, the high school musical casting of those people. Um, and, and his wife as well is in Spring Breakers, right? I think yeah. um, everything he does is very much like a self-portrait. And I think, like I listened to an interview with him and he says when he was younger, he like had to have everything right now and, you know, wanted the fun to last forever. So I think that that's why, why that film, why you say it's so sincere is because he's not, he is asking you to examine that culture critically, but he's not outright condemning it because it was him at one stage in his life. And there is something very beautiful about it, which is also displayed um, in both those films, both Beach Bum and Spring Breakers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I sometimes I'm like, I can't believe this guy is basically my age too, to be like this. Cause he's not that much older than me. I'm like 37 right now. So, and I, you know, he was, I guess his first movie was kids. He wrote kids, he, you know, he didn't direct it, but I think he was 18 or something when he wrote that. And I was maybe like 14 when that movie came out. So he's like a few years older than me and he's been doing this for 20 years. And I'm like, this guy has got, got such a, 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 like idiosyncratic and singular grasp on what it means to be a filmmaker. And he's still mm -hmm. this early in his career. You know, like there's still so much, like if he's going to be, if, you know, if he goes like Martin Scorsese, he's going to have another 30 years of movie making behind him, you know, or ahead yeah. of him. So I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I'm, I'm just kind of excited to see where it goes, especially how, you're saying these films are autobiographical uh, in a lot of ways. And I know the beach bum didn't perform in the theaters nearly as well as they had, were probably hoping it did. Um, yeah. So that, I don't, I personally don't think the movie is a, itself is a failure. It, you know, I think the movie is a masterpiece, but, but it was uh, a commercial failure, let's say. So hmm. that might kind of affect what he's able to do next and it might that kind of mindset might actually bleed into whatever his next project may be you know because i, I can't yeah. if, he, if he's not making money at a box office you, you might not get another movie with that kind of cast with matthew mcconaughey <laughs> and jonah hill and martin lawrence and all these famous stars in it you know mm -hmm. and this giant budget where they're shooting in mansions and all over florida and stuff it there's explosions and so yeah i mean you might go back to like a, a trash humpers or something you know or something something that's just shot basically on a on a cell phone or with with his friends <laughs> yeah definitely um have you seen have you seen the film slacker by richard linklater no i haven't okay i'm familiar just, with it, it, it. 
it reminded me like stylistically it reminded me of early um harmony korean films but what i like about that one and and korean's work as well it's like in trash humpers and in beach film and everything he's just like i don't really fit into the world i don't really understand what everyone's doing but it's sort of over there and that's it's, it's really brave and kind of scary to admit that but i think that's also what resonates with me is like i don't really understand what most people are talking about or what they're interested in um so it's i, I don't know i think it's yeah he's, i mean he's definitely an outsider i think that's obvious but did you manage to see trash humpers i well i have not because i wanted to it was not streaming <laughs> anywhere and we had mm. like a week and a half to try and like catch up on all these movies so i couldn't find it yeah okay no worries but i th- I think there's 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 bits of dialogue that reminded me of beach film because towards the end they're just like i don't really i don't go to church like i don't take out my trash in the morning like i don't really i don't really live like other people um you know so, there's yeah i think there's kind of different filmmakers I think kind of do the same thing as Corinne and like you just said Linkletter and I never thought of it but he's probably one of the closest people doing the, uh, the same kind of stuff except he's got a little more I'd say commercial viability and it might just be because he does certain projects that also are like studio projects like School of Rock or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but like the movie uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Bernie he did with Jack Black and Heard of it, but like, no, I've not seen it. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is actually in that one too. But it is—it's just a—it's kind of like a true crime story with reenactments with these famous actors in it, and but in, but then interviews with the real people who were part of this famous crime, and okay. it is—I I don't know what it is about the movie. I've watched it four times. Like it's just this most enthralling movie. Jack Black is probably one of his best performances, and but it is another movie where it's not constructed like other films. It's, it's not constructed like a documentary. It's not constructed like a narrative film. It's its own thing. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the kind of vision that this, this director like Linklater only could, could make. I mean, even his most popular movie days and confused doesn't have a plot. <laughs> like, like it's, it's essentially a commercial version or maybe it, it we consider it commercial because it was so successful, but it is essentially an experimental film. He's just like, I'm going to show you 50 characters at high school in, in the seventies. And that's it. They're like, all oh, right. Like, okay. They all have their own little things they want to do, but really they all just want to go to this party and that's it. Cause it's the last day of school. <laughs> yeah. I'll need to see that one. I haven't seen it yet, but it sounds like, it sounds like an expansion of slacker, which I think came before which is like 10 different characters just giving, like 10 minute monologues about a bunch of absolute nonsense that they're completely obsessed about, like JFK assassination theories and stuff. And it will just be like a film of them walking along the street for 10 minutes going like aliens are in the government. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, he did, so it, yeah, he did I, that uh, with waking life, I believe too, is kind of that ex- okay. extension that he, it was a, they did that. I think it's called rotoscoping where they do animation over the film. So he mm-hmm. filmed these people essentially just kind of talking in, in doing that, the aliens are real. Like I think Alex Jones was even in it before he was who he is oh, nice. now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and he just like they just colored over it, so it makes it even more dreamy and and unreal. Because now, even though you're watching a real performance from real footage, it's been 
colored and changed and you know messed with to this point where now it doesn't look like a cartoon and it doesn't look like a film it's just this weird thing that is is existing and you're experiencing mm-hmm yeah, which they also did for a Scanner Darkly, which I've not seen because I keep meaning to read the book and then I don't. <laughs> oh, that's a great one. That, you know, that one has a, a little more of a, a plot than some of these others because it is following a, a, a book. book. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, have you seen Boyhood? No, my friend told me that is was like one of the best movies he's ever seen and I have not gotten a chance to check it out. It's so I'm good. Like, it's, I think it's, yeah, tell me. Uh, no, I just, uh, uh, every time, because it pops up on, like, you know, Netflix or something, and it's like, you might like this. And every time I'm just like, I don't know if I want to, I'm like, this is going to be so sad. And it's probably, like, three hours long, and I don't know if I want to do this right now. And every time I've had the opportunity, I'm like, I'm going to put on something else. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think, like, if you did if you did get started in it, it doesn't feel like three hours. Like, all the best films feel like they're supposed to be the length they are, right? And, um. So that one, you barely notice it. And it's it, it would be interesting. I think there's similar techniques in that one, I would say, to, again, Beach Rum and Spring Breakers, which is like, just scenes just kind of happen. So like over over 12 years, this kid grows up and you don't even, but there's no, they don't say now he's four and now he's five. It's just like, he's in this scene, he's in that scene and suddenly years are passed and it all kind of makes sense, but it doesn't, which is how it feels to experience time rather than, you know, to have a, a linear plot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, I, I would, I, I'm intending to check it out. It's like, Linklater especially has like, I don't know, he makes a movie <clears throat> every year or like every other year. He's got a lot of films. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Todd Todd Solons as well seems like another one who's in the Korean boat of like ultra dedicated filmmaker. I love, he was in like, I listened to his Mark Maron interview and he was like, I don't even know why they let me put my name on the poster anymore. Like, it's not a selling point. Because <laughs> films are just not, the films don't make money, but he funds them himself. Um, and somebody was like, why'd you do that? And he said, what am I going to do? Get a bigger apartment. <laughs> just that was great. I love Todd Salons. I've been on Todd Salons for pretty much his whole career because he is from New Jersey, uh, which is where I grew up. Um, and not only that, but he my dad worked in a town called Livingston, which is where he's from. So he was like the big celebrity oh. from that town. You know, we all, oh, we have a filmmaker. Um, you know, the movie was Happiness, of course. So <laughs> I don't know how. how you make you hate life. Yeah. <laughs> but my dad, you know, when I was a teenager, he's just like, oh, there's this crazy filmmaker that lives in town. He, and he knew I was getting in the movies and stuff. So he was showing me these movies when I was little or, or at least a teenager. And yeah, Todd Salons is also one of my favorites. And it, I think he's uh, maybe a little more cynical than Harmony Corinne. You oh, know, definitely. These are yeah. a, little, a little meaner. <laughs> and, a, and uh, you know, his characters are a little uglier. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, would he's I don't mean physically, but I mean like mentally ugly. Hmm. No, I would say he's even pessimistic, which is like, why even bother living? I think is sometimes the message of his films. It seems to me. Um, yeah. Happiness, maybe not. Happiness, I think, is cathartic because it's just like, I don't know, it's kind of a comedy. I love the bit where the woman's like, it's the two sisters and she's talking to Joy, who's in her kitchen. 
And Joy is like, oh, yeah, no, I'm, I think I'm much happier now. And the kid comes in with a gun going like, bang, bang, and then she just starts crying. <laughs> <laughs> it's so... You're enjoying her misery, but you are enjoying it, I suppose. Um, but some of his later films, it's just like... I don't know if you've seen Dark Horse. Uh, I started to watch that one, but I wasn't feeling it, and I kind of turned that off. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair. Because it's almost just like the message of it just seems to be what a waste of space this guy is like why did he even bother like what an absolute failure of potential and you're like guess that can happen to some people oh well <laughs> you know yeah. i think i think i found that main character so insufferable and i just was not in the headspace to kind of deal with it you know i, I was just like oh it's hot salon's yeah. movie and i put it on and i was like i should have mentally prepared myself for what i was gonna get into because usually just, not i think yeah but we, uh, my, there's, there was a big theater in town called the Hollywood Theater. It's this giant 150-year-old uh, theater in Portland where they've got a big screen. And we got to go see Welcome to the Dollhouse a couple uh, years ago on the big screen, which with a, with a packed audience, you know, because they only play it one night. And anyone who wants to be there has to come that night. And it was really an interesting experience to watch something so uncomfortable with, you know, 200 other people because there's moments where stuff that's being played for comedy is probably the most horrible, uncomfortable stuff you're going to see in a movie. Like this girl is just getting shit on constantly. And then the bully is just keeps telling her he's going to rape her. And like the audience is like, uh, 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 you know, like, <laughs> just like and looking left and right like are we supposed to be laughing at this because it's played for comedy because it's so horrible and over the top the way this the people are acting and treating this girl and it's you know i i can imagine todd salon's like in the back of the room on the you know in this movie premiere just chuckling to himself at how uncomfortable everyone in the in the room is well i think i think like the good the good kind of thing that these directors do, Solons and Karina in particular, is criticize like the American positive thinking. They're, I mean, they're very American films. It's, maybe it's more apparent if you're outside of it, but like the the very American attitudes. Like in in Beach Bomb, uh, Moondog says like the the universe is conspiring to keep me happy, which is very similar to. I don't know if you know that book, uh, The Alchemist, by Paulo Coelho. No, not not totally familiar. Okay, there's a light, there's a sentence in that which I think is like um I've not read it. I just remember this quote and going, that's ridiculous. Is that why people like it? it? Says um as soon as you want something, the universe conspires to get it for you. So I thought that when Moondog says it in the film, I was like, that's almost the direct. That's about as close to that sentence as you can get without, you know, copyright infringement. Um, and I think it's one of those books that managers of top fortune 500 companies recommend all the time because it's how you're supposed to think um but then the film itself is criticizing that attitude i think also like maybe you maybe you know more than me but like in in both spring breakers and the beach bum there's definitely a lot being said about race as well um i don't know if you've seen that interview with harmony Korean where he's talking about his book a crack up the, at the race riots um, and he says, like, I, and I've read the book, I can't remember if this is in it or not, but he claims in the Letterman interview that it's about a race riot between 
Vanilla Ice, who's head of all the white people, and MC Hammer, who's head of all the black people. Um, <laughs> which I think he's just saying is a complete joke. But then if you watch Spring Breakers, you've got Alien, who's uh, in charge of the white girls, and then Gucci Mane, whatever his character is called, in charge of all the, the black people. Um, there's something being said about race there, but it seemed like an idea that he's been holding on to for a long time. Similar and like definitely in Beach Bum, you like I mean, the more I was thinking about it, it's like there's you're supposed to be laughing at the scene where Moondog is having sex with his wife while she's getting her toenails done. Um, but then the toenails are being done by an Asian woman, which I think is you know quite typical of these nail salons I've heard. Um, so it's almost like this is what's going on in America that people are just horribly indulging in luxury in front of the faces of other races. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would pick up uh, well in the beach bum I'd say it's more uh, kind of a class divide situation too than, than necessarily race even though uh, especially in America you can't really talk about the vision of class without race being at least part of the conversation <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah but like because there is a moment in the beach bum where he you know he's he's lost everything and then he galvanizes or or gets all the local bums under this bridge to to have a parade with him back to his mansion to essentially just destroy it Mm. you know he's like he's kind of bleeding the the street into the this kind of locked gate you know the gate is locked and he's like i have the keys to the gate he pushes it it does the little code all the bums scream in triumph when it opens they destroy it and then that's when the only moment of reality in the movie of him actually is when because he did that because now he's in trouble you know now the law is coming to actually step in and make him or try to make him straighten up which doesn't work you know like the whole the whole uh rehab plot in in that movie which is what a normal movie would be about oh this guy has to get his life together this movie's not mm-hmm. each one wasn't interested in that they're like no he can show up to rehab decide it's not for him and then continue on with his life you know they'll just, no, they'll just, wear, they'll just wear dresses for the rest of the movie because that's a, apparently <laughs> a <good movie. laughs> the thing is like that's the point in the film where i knew Okay, this is not like this is not a regularly plotted film because at first I thought, oh, okay, this is a film about how his rich wife dies and he has to cope with it. Oh no, this is a film about how he like has to go to rehab and deal with that. Oh no, this is okay. I don't know what this film is about. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And then they and then they stick the the Martin Lawrence scene in the middle of it where you know where he's the boat captain, which is I don't know how to read that at all. It's just to me what. When I saw that in the theater last year, I was like falling out of my chair laughing at that scene because I'm like, wait, all this guy cares about is dolphins and he doesn't know the difference between a dolphin <laughs> and a shark. <laughs> like, just like, what is, like, it was really like a, a scene stealing performance, Martin Lawrence did that. You know, I'm like, where's this guy been? He's hilarious. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, I, I was kind of thinking almost. It almost works as a straightforward comedy if you wanted to read it like that, but I think there were just too many, too many weird things happening on it. Like I, 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 it was about halfway through the film. I was just like, this film did not make its money back, did it? <laughs> I don't know what it was I saw, but I was like, this is just too strange for most people. Um, but so I think um, 
I think the way Harmony Green writes, if he does write at all, is clearly without knowing how something is going to end up. And that's so apparent in the structure of his films. Is like, he just goes, okay, so like the, the wife gets killed, so probably he'd do this, probably that would happen, probably this would happen. And because he doesn't know where the story ends up, seems to me, in the process of writing it, we as the audience have no idea where it's going as well. To the point where, like I said, yeah, I've been watching films, just I watch them in like half hour chunks, but they're all very act one, act two, act three. So you're like, I'll stop here and I kind of, I know what's going to happen, but I'll see how it happens. This film, it's like, I, I have to see this through to the end. I've got no idea what's going to happen. Um, and I know it will just, like, it will bring together the entire message of what the film was about, um, which it totally does. Mm. Yeah, and I, it's probably part of that dream structure, too, where the movies themselves are are the piece. It is one... It's like a piece of classical music. You can't listen to the, the part of it. You have to sit there and listen to the whole thing to get the experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I mean, like I, I, you know, I watched a beach bum last night and I paused the movie towards the end to like go to the bathroom, you know, <laughs> like, and there was 15 minutes left. And I was like, oh, part of the spell got, got broken because now I have to kind of reacclimate myself to the thought process that the movie has kind of the, the hypnotic thought process or the or structure of this movie i kind of broke yeah. it by by stopping before it was time for the movie day you know mm. it took a second to get into it yeah it's so rare in films and it really shouldn't be like ideally you would get that experience every time but i can't i can't drop films fast enough most of the time yeah yeah because they because a lot of filmmakers are going to just kind of follow the structure which is i'm not that's that's fine in fact there's a reason why things are constructed the way they are it's because it's easy to follow and we like to be told variations of the same story in the way that that it works you know we that's why there's fairy tales and stuff you know they're all different but they're all the same you know kind of and when something comes along that kind of breaks the mold, that's what makes it so special. If every movie was a Harmony Corinne movie, I don't know if movies would be as popular as they are, you know? Yeah. And then when you get someone who kind of approaches movie, movie making as I'm a visual story, story or tell visual storyteller. And the entire language of the film is through what you see and not mm-hmm. and what you feel because of what you're seeing and not necessarily what the characters are saying or the way that they need to interact with each other or the kind of typical things you know the arc of their story the typical things a movie's about movies are about um Mm. yeah like so he just it's why his films are are special and why these other filmmakers we were mentioning too are i think special because Mm -hmm. they they can kind of invert the, the the expectations that every other movie set up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is, I think, an excellent place to end our chat as well, which was like so successful. Loved it. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, and there's so many places we could have gone to, especially once we started getting off Harmony Corinne. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> yeah. like so many filmmakers and all this other shit I want to talk about. But um, yeah, I think this was great. We could do it as we could totally do a series. You can pick somebody next time. And we can have another chat. Yeah, dude, I love talking about movies. It's uh, it's 
one of my favorite things. So awesome. Please tell me about like what's going on with you in writing and, and you know, what we should be looking for. Oh, okay. Um, I don't, I don't have any new, new releases or anything coming up, but, um, see what's going on. I just had a audio book for my book. I will, I will rot without you. So I, I kind of, uh, I didn't record it myself. I'm not the, you know, I'm not a good voice actor. I don't think so. I <laughs> had someone do it, but I kind of produced the whole thing myself. So it was a cool process where I got to pick the person and then work with them. And so it turned out really kind of fun. Um, so yeah, if people want to check that out and, um, let's see the other thing. Let's see. Uh, I have an art, uh, a recurring comedy article <laughs> or, or column in unnerving magazine. Uh, and it's basically based off of movies. It's called dangerous failed film pitches. So it's, they're all based off of me bumping into filmmakers and then pitching terrible, terrible movies to them, <laughs> which aren't ever going to be produced. So I did it in the last issue of Unnerving, which was number 12. Um, I, I pitched uh, to Michael Bay. I pitched a big budget action movie based off of Tic-Tac-Toe. And I pitched uh, a, a United Mummy cinematic universe to Tom Cruise where he can kind of combine his stupid mummy movie with the, the Brendan Fraser ones and it's just a bunch of nonsense and I'm working on the the columns for the next uh, issue number 13 which will be upcoming so. excellent so if you are a reader writer any kind of creative and you want to be on the show or if you want to tell me anything about the show you can do so using losing the plot podcast at gmail.com. What did you think of this episode style? Is this something you want to listen to in the future? Um, any particular director that you enjoy? Do you want to come on the show and talk to me about a director? Uh, whatever it is, losing the plot podcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Um, but that's all for me for this episode. So until next time, bye bye.